0: Hello and welcome to Listen Closely with John and Chris, the podcast that is sweeping the nation and the world. Uh, I am Chris on the West Coast. Uh, with me, as always, is my co-host John on the East Coast. John, how are you? Hello, Chris.
1: I'm well. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. I'm excited for uh, I'm excited for today's show.
1: I mean, aren't you excited for every show we do, though? Um...
0: I am. I mean, we just get to. Talk I know I am. Here. We we just get to talk music for like forty five minutes. It's it's a pretty sweet deal. It
1: is a sweet deal. Yeah, if only we got paid for this, but yeah, I'm not. <laughs> listen, I'm not complaining.
0: <laughs> well, you know, John, we've been friends now for oh my god, thirty thirty six years. And I'm bringing uh, that
1: up every two weeks, I know. I know.
0: Yeah. Well, this one I bring it up because this this brings us back. This album to shortly before we graduated high school. That is uh, correct. Which is crazy because it's been, it's been 25 years. Um, this is the 25th anniversary of really a landmark album. Um, you know, an album, a lot's been written about this, a lot's been said, but I think we've got a lot more to say about it. Do w- you want to do the honors?
1: I would love to. Uh, we are going back to March of 1995. Over 25 years ago, a quarter century ago, uh, the band is Radiohead, and the album is, of course, The Bends.
0: Yes, The Bends, Radiohead's second album. Um, You know, they're they're coming off of uh, what was it, Pablo Honey, their debut album, which of course had Creep. Um, You know, and they they had a they definitely had some success with that. Um, you know, and that first one was it was pretty grungy. Um, came out in I think '93. This one, a couple years later, this one was a bit of a departure.
1: It was, yeah, it definitely was a big departure, and I think it took so many people by surprise. You, you mentioned Pablo Honey, which was a pretty good album, right? And Creep was Creep really got a, a whole boatload of, of airplay and and was in heavy rotation on mtv but i think everyone at the time and my 16 year old self at the time when creep came out just figured that this was a band that was going to be a one-hit wonder from the 1990s that you know radiohead would go by the way of Candlebox, uh silver chair
0: yeah
1: Frank, um sounds like the, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. and so then I remember, they hearing that they had another album coming out and kind of laughing, going, "Oh, they're going to try to, you know, try to see if they can even come close to achieving the same amount of success they had with Creep." And uh, I think a lot of people felt the same way, and uh, boy, were a lot of people wrong.
0: Yeah, I mean, this one right right from the beginning, with uh, you know, you start out with Planet Telex. And you just get that that dominant guitar. It's uh, you know echoey, the reverb. It's distorted, and it just kind of, uh, for me at least, it just it just ropes you in. What, what did you say? I
1: coughed actually.
0: Oh, you did. Oh, <laughs> all right. We'll have to get the uh, the editing crew to to get rid of that. Um, they'll,
1: they'll remove the phlegm, sure.
0: <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and it, you know it's. Um, you know, this song, man, Talk. we've talked about themes like alienation before with certain albums. This album, uh, man, I mean, from the beginning, you can kiss it, you can break all the rules, but still everything is broken. Everyone is broken. Everyone is, everyone is broken. <laughs> um, why can't you forget? Why can't you forget? Why can't you forget? That's some heavy shit to start out with.
1: That is it's like when you start out with that, you have nowhere to go but down, really.
0: <laughs> you know, it's,
1: it's, uh, it's true, and it's, it's a dark, dark album, um, but I think it has really endured, and I think that's what we're going to talk about in this episode, is why it's endured and why it was just so damn successful. And one of the significant things for me, Chris, about The Bends is, you know, several of the episodes of this podcast that we've, we've been doing now for six months or so, Almost Critics' Top 50 or Top 100 lists, or whatever you want to call it, um, as is this one. But most of the other albums, we either weren't alive when those albums were released or were toddlers at the time and have no recollection of of anything uh, regarding those albums until we were old enough to really understand what it was all about. And I'm referring to some of the classics we've discussed in previous episodes. Hotel California, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, Asia, Sticky Fingers. I could go on. Sure. What makes this album so significant and so important to me, at least, is that you said this from the onset of this, this episode today. Uh, it's, it's an album that I was both old enough to remember where I was when I first heard it, to remember where and when I, I exactly bought the album, the CD and to truly understand it and be old enough to appreciate all it had to offer pretty much immediately upon its release or shortly thereafter, unlike Hotel California, which grew on me over the years and was released a year, year and a half before I was born.
0: Yeah, yeah, so so talk about that for a minute. What When you first heard this album, what, what did you think? What went through your mind?
1: Well, the first thing I... First thing I heard was was fake plastic trees. I remember seeing the video on MTV, and I was just blown away. Both, both by the video, which is really bizarre. Uh, I don't know if you recall when they're in the that empty supermarket, and Tom York's going down the the uh, the carriage in the aisle. Um, but also, just what a great sound uh, fake plastic trees had as a song, and and. Again, I go back to what I said a little while ago. These guys were a one-hit wonder. Did that that goose was cooked, man, after Creep. I didn't think they were going to come back and do anything. And then all of a sudden they come back and, and you stop and go, holy shit, not only is this good, but this is exceptional. And immediately after you hear fake plastic trees, then you hear high and dry, which was such a, a beautiful, accessible song. And I was just, I was blown away from the get-go. And, and you and I have talked several times in this podcast, and, and both off the air as well, uh, that the, the mid-90s were kind of a wasteland of music in America. And uh, I, I thank the likes of Radiohead, this album in particular, and groups like Suede, Pulp, the Verve, Blur, a little bit of Oasis, for, for saving me from the incessant mediocrity of Dave Matthews Band, Blue's Traveler, Live, Rusted Root, that I encountered at keg at parties in high school and in college. Uh, if it weren't for that, that, that glimmer of hope coming from the other side of the pond in 95, 96, 97, I don't know what new music there would have been to have truly enjoy and appreciate it at that time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, uh, I agree. I mean, I, I first heard this album, I believe at your house, um, you know, when, when, when John and I were younger and, and whenever we'd hang out, you know, if I'd go over to his house, it would always, first thing was always John would put on whatever new music he was listening to. And so you got to hear, you know, let me, let me play you a couple songs. And, um, yeah, and I'm I'm pretty sure the first the first two you played me, and then there, my
1: father would would yell at me to turn it down.
0: Yeah, turn down, John. Don't put on the air conditioning. No.
1: I gotta go to bed soon. Turn it down, please. <laughs>
0: well, I love Armando. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I you know I believe you played me high and dry and fake plastic trees, and at that point, I felt the same way about popular music where. There was just not a lot that I was really getting into those days, and when I heard that, you know, first off, I mean, the sound on this album—it's just—it's just a different sound, um, you know, with a, a lot of the distortion-type things that they do. Um, it's really kind of a unique sound which grabbed me, but through all of that, there's some really beautiful melodies, you know. Fake plastic trees is gorgeous. Um, So it was this, this real combination of this edginess, but you know, it wasn't like, I think what, with grunge, what got me a lot of the time was just that that it was so devoid of like any real hooks and melodies a lot of the time and
1: wasn't accessible.
0: Yeah, this, this kind of, it was a combination of, of the two. Um,
1: It's, it's amazing. You should say that because I'm looking at my notes, of what I was going to talk about next. And it's almost verbatim what you just said. And I had written for all the talk over the years regarding how amazing the sound of this album is or how incredible the production is, because it really is. I think people actually tend to overlook just how amazing the songs are and how incredible the songwriting is. And it's all about, you're right, it's, it's chock full of hooks. The songs are catchy as all hell even though they're, they're depressing and they're dark and, and they, you know, they're, they're all, there's all the crazy sonics going on. Um, let's not forget this album's released in 95, so it's right in the middle of that, that British invasion of the 90s, which consisted of bands who were writing and recording songs that were catchy, anthemic, slightly edgy at times. You know, I talked a moment ago about Oasis, Blur, Pulp, Sway, The Verve. Um, so at the heart of this album are these catchy songs and just a barrage of hooks. I mean, the, the title track, High and Dry, Fake Plastic Trees, of course, as you mentioned, uh, Black Star, Sulk, I could go on. I mean, these songs are just catchy as all hell and unforgettable.
0: Yeah, and I, I think there's a real tendency that, you know, a lot of people say it's almost the, the less of that, the better. You know, that the more, you know, Radiohead is known for these. You know, you read a lot about how Mm. they're the sound, it captures the alienation of this period in history and, um, you know, all of these difficult, painful feelings. Um, And I think a lot of people have a tendency to say, people who think they're smart, you know, that the more grating it is and the less melodic it is, you know, that it's. That's better. That's more because it's saying something on a deeper level. And uh, you know, maybe those that, people are,
1: are just tools.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> it's fine if you're looking at a piece of like visual art or something, but at the end of the day, these are songs and you're, you're not, I don't want to give up four minutes of my time to listen to something that I walk away from just being like, that was grating and painful. You know, exactly. I, I want something that is going to have some kind of hook there. So I, I get kind of irritated, um, you know, when people shit on high and dry. Some people do because they say, "Oh, it's sort of simplistic and kind of cheesy." And you know,
1: although the band themselves aren't aren't too big yeah. on the song, I they get. I
0: but I, I, I tell you, I think it's a great song. It's I, a beautiful know? song. Yeah, I, so I'm with you there. I think this this album that really fuses a lot of kind of deeper emotional stuff and a lot of uh they do that through the production techniques um but it doesn't you know it doesn't lose those beautiful melodies um, that are it stuck. never
1: does and now speaking of tools and, and dipshits should we talk about the critical reception
0: oh please yeah
1: <laughs> very interesting very interesting so upon its release rolling stone album rolling stone magazine rather gave the album three and a half out of five stars. uh, Though they aren't exactly batting a thousand when it comes to albums we review on this podcast, right? Um, And over over the years, they've changed their tune and they've come to sing this album's praises. Most recently in their very peculiar revised list of top 500 albums of all time, which just came out a few weeks ago, Hmm. Uh, they ranked this number 276. It used to be a lot higher, but I think the six Kanye West albums that they put on the, the latest edition uh, must have bumped this for some strange reason. Um, go figure. Uh, in fact, many American critics were hard on the album when it came out. I think they just didn't get it. Uh, this, th- these next two are, are probably my favorite uh, favorites. Spin Magazine said that the album was filled with, quote, knotted out nonsense mumble, not enough concrete emotion, end quote. And Chicago Tribune called the album self-absorbed, overblown, and pretentious. But the Brits got it right. Q Magazine called the album powerful, bruised, majestically desperate record of frighteningly good songs, which I think pretty much. It's the hammer on the net. NME called it a classic upon its release. In 2000, Virgin ranked the Benz number two in their top 1,000 1, albums of all time. Yeah. It's number two. Second to the Beatles' Revolver. And frankly, I'd put the Benz higher than Revolver. I wouldn't put it number one out of 1,000, but it's up there. And perhaps most telling Chris... In 2019, Ricky Gervais, yes, that Ricky Gervais, named the Benz as his number one favorite most listened to album in his life.
0: Wow, there you go.
1: So if it's good enough for Ricky.
0: David Brent himself, yeah. That's right, I mean, exactly. I I will say, I mean, we we shit on the critics a lot, and I think that's fair. But, uh, you know, it's tough being a critic. I mean, they're you get these albums, you don't have that long with them. I think one like this, especially, I can see being one that kind of grows on you um, over time. Although that wasn't really the case with us because we're so smart, I guess. Um, Apparently. But, uh, but I, you know, when I pulled this album out over the last week or two, I hadn't listened to it for a while. I would say that it, I think it's still great, but it hasn't aged quite as well as I, expected. Like there's a, there's a little bit of it to me that sounds like very particular to that, that, you know, like mid nineties, early nineties sound. Um, I don't know. Would you agree with that? No. No. (laughs) You asked. (laughs) Uh, Well, I, no,
1: in, in one of my notes, I was, and I was going to say this for later, but I might as well pull this out right now. I was going yeah, to maybe. say that. Yeah, I'm whipping it out. I, I was going to say that I hadn't really listened to this album much over the last 15, 20 years. Um, I actually enjoyed listening it to listening to it much more now, and I find it much more relevant now. I think it's aged quite well with one, maybe two exceptions. Uh, and I know what you mean. There are a couple of exceptions that sound a couple of songs that sound a little too mid nineties angst, slightly grunge uh, i I could do without those. but the rest of the album, I think still sounds absolutely beautiful.
0: No don't get me wrong. I, I think it's still great i just I think there's there's something about that era that was kind of like devoid of. Uh, I don't know if I want to say irony or humor, but it was, that era took itself, and I'm going back to like the beginning of the 90s too when grunge was big, like, um, it took itself really seriously. Too Too seriously. Way too seriously. And there's parts of this album where I'm kind of like, maybe maybe it's just because of everything that's going on now too in 2020 that, you know, you look back at a lot of, the angst, um, and you just think, man, like, (laughs) at some point, like, you know, I I think a lot of the artists that we've covered, you know, people like Brian Ferry and um, the Eagles, you know, they see that angst, but at the same time, they, they kind of, you know, they don't lose their sense of melodrama, or the sense that, like, the world is just kind of... It's ridiculous and it's absurd and sometimes it sucks and but you kind of have exactly. to laugh at it sometimes. There's none of that from the early to mid '90s. It's just all none. super serious, everything. With
1: the exception of, with the exception of maybe what you two did with Akatung Baby and Europa. I think they oh, were sure. the only ones. And <laughs> some of what was going on with with uh, the aforementioned Brit pop bands. But you're right. Everyone was taking themselves way too seriously. No one was having fun. And I think it was all sort of a response to the insane amount of fun and the teased uh, hair during (laughs) the the late 1980s. But I'm sorry, rock and roll should be fun. Music should be escapism. It shouldn't all be so depressing. And, you know, I, I know exactly what you mean. And, yes, there is a little bit of it here on this album. And I'm I'm sorry uh, you're you know it's it's making you uneasy during 2020. Do you need do you need like an emotional support animal?
0: Oh, that would be good. That might be good actually. Yeah. I, I'm not <laughs> would, I would take that, but I, I don't think I'd want like a dog or a cat. I'd want something different. Like, could I get like a uh, I don't know an emotional support platypus or like a a ding-o?
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> a woolly mammoth. No, it's 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 funny you should say that. A woman that I, I used to work with, this was fairly recently, um, she knew someone who had – I'm not making this up. This is 100% true. She knew somebody who had an emotional support duck.
0: Really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, you know, if it helps um, – uh, <laughs> Uh, well, if it,
1: if it doesn't help, you've got Duck LaRange.
0: <laughs> there you go. There you go. You can get the PETA people after us now. Yeah, great,
1: great. Just alienated part of our listeners.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, I think uh, I think we should move on to the picks here. Let's do this. All right. So as always, we're going to start with the Nadir the low point of the album. John, what's your low point? What's your nadir?
1: When I bought this album in 1995, there was a song that I immediately disliked. And here we are, more than a quarter century later, I thought my feelings would change. You know, now and then you, you take out the old album and you look at it from a different perspective, a different point in life, and you embrace a song that you previously might not have cared for. Uh, that was not the case, and uh, <laughs> you touched upon this a moment ago. There, there's one or two moments in the sound where it, it sort of bears off ever so slightly into just that that overly angsty '90s sound. And um, the song for me is track number seven, "Just." I just don't like "Just," <laughs> and a it, it's it's that. Overly angsty, mid-90s or 90s sound. More so than that, it's coming right after the first four tracks on the album, which are Sheer Perfection, Planet, Planet Telex, The bends, High and Dry, and then it culminates with The Gorgeous Fake Plastic Trees. To me, when you, you get to, I'm sorry, then you have Bones and you have Nice Dream. By the time you get, so it's the first uh, six tracks, rather, by the time you get to just, uh, you're expecting the momentum to keep going, but it briefly threatens to derail the entire album.
0: Could not agree more. We are speaking the same language, baby. Um, wow. Yeah, that one that one jumps out at me um, for all the reasons you said. It's it's that angsty's. That angsty grating 90s, you know, early 90s sound. Um, you know, I think it's a song, if you look at the lyrics, I think the lyrics are actually, I mean, they're, they're kind of <clears throat> I think it's about addiction. I don't know. Uh, probably. Probably. But, uh, you know, the lyrics are pretty good. But man, that sound, I just can't get past it. It's, it's grating. It's everything I dislike about the early mid 90s scene. Um, Agreed. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think there's a couple, you know, for me, the, this album is, it's a little like me at this stage in the pandemic quarantine here, like, it's a little soft in the middle, you know, not, not terribly, but a little bit. Um, You know, I'm not, I'm not crazy about my iron lung. I know that was the first single that came off this album, I believe. Um, and I like that up to a point, but then the end of that one sort of devolves into uh, some pretty grating stuff for me, too. Um, and that's, that's the next song. Um, but much more so to me, Just is just not good, as you said.
1: I'll listen to it, but it does nothing for me except bothers me slightly. For my money, they should have just left it off the album. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And it would it really wouldn't have changed things because I don't feel as though just brings anything to the table.
0: Um, no, and there's enough songs that they certainly didn't need it. You know, they still would have had. Exactly. Yeah,
1: exactly. But what do I know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, all right, well, what, uh, let's, let's move on to the more positive stuff here. What's your sleeper pick? What's the one, this can be the one that, uh, you know, either is kind of underrated. Or one that you, sometimes it kind of sneaks up on you after a while? Sure. Yeah, what do you What do you got? Oh, no, this,
1: was a, this was a tough one because there are a handful of amazing sleeper moments on this album. I could have gone with any one of probably three different songs. Um, but it, and it seemed as though every time I listened to the album over the last week or so, I chose something different. So I finally just had to pick one and stick with it. And I decided to go with Nice Dream, hmm. track number six. Um, I like the simple acoustic guitar, the melody. It's a lot more stripped down than most of the other songs in the album. And Tom York's vocals are amazing as always. And it reminds me again that this album is in fact from 1995, smack dab in the middle of that British invasion of the 90s. And more than most of the other songs of the bands, this song has that kind of Lennon-McCartney pop sensibility to it that a lot of the other 90s British Invasion stuff had, but the Benz didn't. Uh, I think it's a nice breather halfway through the album. Um, and I, I know you're a fan of uh, anytime a song title has part of the song title in parentheses. Um, this has the entire song title in parentheses. I don't know what that's about, but I'll take it.
0: <laughs> yeah, that is interesting, right? Um... Yeah, I think that's a good pick. It's a good pick. It's a real subtle song, Um, you know, very, very quiet, you know, compared to a lot of the other songs on this, but exactly, very lyrical, beautiful. And I think you're right. It does come at a, at a good point. You know, you've got the first five songs, which I think are all, you know, exceptional, um, but pretty damn heavy. And, you know, this gives you, it's, it's, almost like a nice, little, a nice little sleep in the middle of the album, but a, a nice one, um, you know, that kind of refreshes you and then gets you going for the second half. Um, exactly. Yeah, no, good.
1: Good. But I'm guessing that. it's not what you picked.
0: It's not what I picked. I agree there. I think there's, you know, as, as heralded as this album is, um, there's really, I think just the two songs that are, you know kind of known by just average people you know fake plastic trees and high and dry um you know by people who aren't radiohead fans by people who weren't like you know big into uh, into pop music there's not like a lot of top 40 hits off of this um so i think it's a really that like you said there's a, a ton of sleeper possibilities uh for me i went with one that for whatever reason I. I just never and this is an indictment on me. I, I never gave it a great listen back in the day, but it leapt out at me this time. It's uh the 10th track, Black Star.
1: Amazing song.
0: Oh, well, you know, I almost went with that, but it's so wow. good. Yeah. Um, it is. It's so good. I mean, there's so many different sounds going on there. Um you know, it, again, it, it's a very a uh, somber, difficult song lyrically. Uh, it sure is. Yeah, I mean, what is it? It's about somebody who's going through, it's got to be either depression or addiction. Uh, or both. Or, yeah, both. And sung from the perspective of somebody who's, you know, their companion kind of trying to help them when they're unhelpable. Um, but musically for me, it's just, it's amazing. I mean, there's after like the main... After the refrain, there's kind of it goes back and forth between I don't know if it's I don't know if it's two guitars or if it's a guitar and the the synth, but it's oh man, it's really tremendous sound,
1: and, and it's catchy as all hell. I, I go back to those it, hooks. It's 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 infectious. You can't get that melody out of your head.
0: No, you can't. You can't. I was listening to it before. It's running through my head right now. Um, so really fantastic song.
1: I love black star. And you know, I almost went with that. The only reason why I didn't is because I think I I've loved that song from the get go. So while it's a sleeper track on the album, it is really the definition of a sleeper track. Uh, it wasn't really a sleeper to me because it's always been one of my go-to songs on the album. And I think that's what kind of kept me from, from choosing that as, as my uh, sleeper moment. But I, I'm in complete agreement with you. I think Black Star is just an incredible song.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Which which now brings us to <clears throat> moment. Mm. Fun, final reveal, the zenith. Mm-hmm. I, I think I know where you're gonna go, but maybe you'll surprise me here. What what do you got?
1: I won't surprise you. I'm going with the obvious choice. This was a no-brainer for me. And no need for the drum roll or or the dramatic pause. It's track four. It's fake plastic, Therese. Um Every time I hear this song, it's like I'm hearing it for the first time. And I've heard this song thousands and thousands of times in my life. It never fails to wow, amaze, move, surprise me. You know, I've been listening to this entire album a lot over the last week or so, as, we've, as we always do, Chris, to prep for each episode. And I listened to the album while cleaning my home, while cooking dinner, while exercising, which I know you find a rather surprising statement. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I was just, you know, very minor exercises. Anyway, uh, no matter, no matter what I'm doing, especially when exercising, when fake plastic trees comes on, I, no exaggeration. I stop everything else. I sit down, I focus and I take it all in. It's, you can't, just use fake plastic trees as background music. It's just such a rich, complex song. Uh, not only my favorite song on this album, it's undoubtedly my favorite modern rock or alt rock, whatever you want to call it. Song of the 1990s. And it's one of my favorite songs of all time.
0: Wow. That's it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, before today, uh, you know, before this episode, I kinda had in my mind flake 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 fake plastic trees um from my zenith. Um but then I was I was reading up on the album and you know there's a whole lot of opinions on what is the best song on this album. Um so I read some some rankings, one um One was a Reddit poll that had Street Spirit, the final track, number one, of like hundreds of people. Um, Yeah, there were a couple others. Uh, One had Black Star, I think that was maybe Billboard. Um, And nobody had fake plastic trees of the the handful of things that I read. And so I thought, all right, maybe, you know, maybe I'm being kind of a basic bitch here. Maybe I'm, uh, you know, it's too obvious. (laughs) Maybe there's something deeper here. So mm. I listened to the album again and I, I really listened to Fake Plastic Tree. Mm. And um, nope, uh, it's the best song on the album. And it is one of the best songs of the 90s, hands down. Yeah, uh, it, it's just electrifying. I mean, I went into it this time, like trying to find some flaws in it. And no, I mean, it's it's brilliant, This this, you know, it's, I mean, for a song that starts out, a green plastic watering can for a fake Chinese rubber plant. (laughs) Go from there and take you into such depths of feeling and emotion. Uh, It's staggering. I, I think it's fantastic.
1: One of the things that I always go back to when the album was first released, and I think when I first played this for you or, or when we first had a discussion about this song, do you remember the first thing you said to me about the song? No. What it sounded like.
0: You mean, <laughs> it, back, you mean back in the, like, when I first heard? Yeah,
1: 1995. I remember this clear as day.
0: Did I say that mm-hmm. it sounded like David Gates?
1: It sounded like David Gates in Bread. Yeah. And it does. It <laughs> starts off, and it's this... It's this beautiful, simple acoustic guitar, and Tom York's voice really is very reminiscent of of David Gates' bread. And for our listeners out there, if you're not familiar with bread, well, you're a bunch of of Philistines, first of all, but, but, I mean, the the soft rock kings of the 1970s, and I could go on, you know, baby, I'm going to want you, baby, I'm going to need you, if everything I own... Ugh. Tom York's vocals and the acoustic guitar. You look at me and you're like, this sounds just like bread. Yeah. It, it did. But that's the amazing thing because then halfway through the song, it goes in an entirely different direction.
0: That's the thing. And that, that's the moment. You know, if I was going to pick one, al- one moment on the album, uh, it's right in there because it's so melodic and soft um, to that point. It's the part, it's the, it wears him out part. Um, yes gravity always wins and it wears him out and on the third or fourth it wears him out his voice kind of cracks and it gets that you know that gravelly gradiness to it and you know he goes
1: from his his head voice to his chest voice i think is, exactly. is kind of what he does it's a beautiful moment
0: and then he comes in with she looks like the real thing she tastes like the real thing my fake plastic love i mean yeah and then and the music crescendos at that point the the guitar the stringing it's it's so powerful so powerful
1: it never fails to move me now could we also talk about how i think the the topic of the song or the the story that it tells was really ahead of its time i think because you know when you i, I don't know 100% what the song's about but i think it's safe to assume that it's it's talking about living in a world where everything's a little fake and uh, where, you know, people are, are buying body parts and, uh, you know, as he says right there, you, you just said it a moment ago, she looks like the real thing. She tastes like the real thing. Um, I think you started to see this, this, this vanity take on a whole new life in the mid-90s and now look at it 25 years later. I mean, people are getting ass implants.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, and I think, that's, I think that's part of why this album gets uh, this and, and OK Computer, you know, to get such incredible critical acclaim because, you know, in addition to these just incredible songs in a vacuum, there is that, that cultural aspect to it where it was really seeing, seeing some things and uh, shining a light on them that were uh, pretty brilliant and prophetic, like you said
1: without a doubt without a doubt
0: yeah well so we agreed on two of the three there uh, wow not too bad yeah i don't know we might have to get up some more contention next time um i'll
1: try my best <laughs>
0: yeah but uh so for you we've talked a little bit about this but do you have any other personal memories pop culture references for this album that we have not yeah record? i
1: do in terms of uh particular- yeah, a very interesting memory with this album, one that I'll never forget. Uh, in all my years of going to concerts and all the countless concerts I've seen, I saw Radiohead perform uh, late in the summer of 1997. So, OK Computer had just been released, and it was the it was at the Hammerstein Ballroom in Manhattan, which is this great old venue. It's it's a ballroom, so it's standing room only, it, and stand. I wasn't too far from the stage either, and standing about. 10 feet in front of me was this very attractive 90s looking alt girl. You remember the 90s alt girls that like, you know, were really beautiful but wore baggy clothing and had their hair dyed blue and nose ring before anyone else had a nose ring. And you just remember looking at them saying, wow, if you were in a, you know, a different outfit, you you could look like a supermodel. But kudos to these girls for doing their own thing, right? Yeah. Um. So this girl's 10 feet in front of me. She's sort of in her own world, swaying all throughout the concert. Toward the end of the concert, they play fake plastic trees. And right as the song reaches that gorgeous crescendo you just spoke of, the girl just collapses. Um, Like it's obvious she had been on some serious, serious drugs. Uh, Security comes rushing in, pushes me aside, pushes everyone aside, drags her out right by me. And again, this is right as the song is is kind of swelling, you know, that she looks like the real thing. It's at that moment. And everyone in the whole ballroom is looking at this. Even Tom York, I could see him from the stage, is is looking, or at least I think he was. You can never tell with that eye thing he had going on. I don't know, did he have a lazy eye or what it was? But um <laughs> anyway, it's It's a strange, strange uh, memory to have associated with it, but I will never forget that. First off, seeing a band like this at such a small venue was amazing. But also having that happen uh, in the middle of one of the most amazing songs, 10 Feet in Front of Me. It's just something I'll never forget.
0: It's kind of perfect because it's such a surreal thing. (laughs) And, you know, this whole album has this, this aspect of just, you know, like you mentioned with the video for Fake Plastic Trees, that kind of dystopian supermarket or whatever the hell it is. Right. Um, yeah. Very <laughs> fitting. Wow. What about you? Um, you know, not a whole lot to add other than, I mean, I, I can literally, I, I remember sitting there, I, I actually remember 25 years ago, you, you know, putting on that CD, which, um, you know, it's kind of crazy. I mean, I, there's so much that I've forgotten, uh, you know, from that, from that period. It's just kind of flashes and images. And, you know, once you get to a certain age, stuff starts to kind of meld together. But but that I distinctly remember sitting there and you putting it on and thinking, wow, this is different. This, this is different. Um and that just, I think speaks volumes to how kind of ahead of, ahead of its time and uh, brilliant so much of this album was. I would have to agree. Yeah. Um, what do you think in terms of, of representing the zeitgeist of, of that era 1995?
1: I went back and forth on this, uh, but I, I actually, in the end, I think it does a fairly good job. I mean, Popular music was in a weird way in the mid-90s. So was modern culture in general, I think. And, you know, this wasn't quite grunge. This certainly wasn't gangster rap. Mm -hmm. There's enough angst and distorted guitars on this album, not to mention the crazy liner notes in the CD, uh, CD.
0: What's with the liner notes?
1: It's just your typical 90s liner notes, where it's like a collage of, of ridiculous pictures and images and drawings that on the surface make no sense, but probably have some serious meaning and tell a story of their own. I mean, no one even bothers with
0: liner notes anymore, because no one really right. even bothers buying CDs anymore. Um, so I think Never, all that... Whenever there's... My, my go-to explanation now for anything like that, uh, and I've probably used it on this podcast many times, when, when there's something musically that I don't understand, I'm just like, I think it's about uh, probably, probably drugs, probably addiction. Drugs, right. D-
1: disillusionment.
0: Disillusionment, yeah. And
1: I wanna say something else in regard to the cultural zeitgeist, and this is very important. Fake Plastic Trees was featured in the film Clueless and is on the motion picture soundtrack CD. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't think of any better slice of 1995 cultural zeitgeist than Clueless and a young Alicia Silverstone in that plaid skirt outfit. You know the one I'm talking about.
0: Oh my God. Do you remember how huge she was when that came? And then the Aerosmith videos? Oh, Um, Man, I mean, she was, for for a hot minute there, she was...
1: Oh, she looked so beautiful in that movie. And can we, a can little shout out to Stacey Dash, who also looked equally Stacey gorgeous Duffy, in that movie. Beautiful,
0: beautiful. And that was the that was the coming out party for Paul Rudd, right? I mean, brilliant Paul Rudd.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was kind of, he, yeah, he arrived with that film, right? He yeah. kind of did. Yeah. But yeah, Great
0: movies. Alicia, Alicia. Great movie. and, Yeah,
1: And so I think that right there, and I, I said it half-jokingly, but I think that the, the fact that it appears on one of the most, I don't know, what's uh, genre-defining or, or uh, defining cultural comedies of the 1990s, the fact that it appears on that soundtrack, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, it captures the cultural zeitgeist. What do you think?
0: agreed yeah i think it you know it's a little it's a little bit of a tough question because like you were mentioning before it in some ways this album is prophetic and i feel like it's it's really at the cusp of uh pointing out you know it's ahead of its time in some ways and so when something's ahead of its time it's like well does it capture the zeitgeist if it's ahead of its time but But I I agree that it does. I mean, the overall sound is still there, and I think there's, you know, uh, like the the sound is different from grunge, but the angst is still there, Um, and that is so much a part of the the early to mid '90s um, that that just that sense that everything sucks and uh, that there's really no no hope. Uh, you know, I'm laughing, but it's <laughs>
1: uh, uh, and yet we don't know how good we had it in the 90s. That's the thing. Like, you I, know, I
0: have I have this whole theory that <laughs> that relating grunge to the fall of the Soviet Union. And if you'll bear with me for a minute here, okay. So you remember growing up in the 80s? I mean, it, it was always like, are they going to drop the bomb? You know, to quote, what is it, Alphaville? Alpha Bill, Forever Young. The bomb or not. Um, mm-hmm. there was all this external stuff going on. I mean, you also had horrible recessions in the early 80s, inflation, you know, all of that, all of that stuff. So the, the 80s wasn't, you know, it wasn't quite the rip-roaring, just uh, glam fest that it sometimes gets portrayed as. And I think once this is my theory that once the Soviet Union fell, and that whole threat of nuclear war was gone, that suddenly there was no like, there was no external enemy to fight against, even if it was just kind of in the background, you know, this idea that there was the bad guy who was trying to get us. And so suddenly people were kind of left to themselves. And they started to realize that Oh, I'm not miserable because of all this external stuff. Like the calls coming from inside the house, like my mind is just a shit show. And uh, they started reckoning with their own personal demons because there weren't as many external threats. Am I crazy? Is that crazy?
1: Yeah, a little bit.
0: <laughs>
1: I mean, I agree, but I think that this angst that was in the music uh, of the 90s really sort of seeped into culture in general. Because, yeah, we didn't have the threat of the Soviets. That was nice. You know, we didn't have to worry about are they going to drop the bomb or not. And yet there was a lot of domestic madness going on and a lot of domestic violence. And I don't mean like, you know, domestic violence, like Ike Turner, domestic violence. I mean, like things going on stateside. I mean, you had the Oklahoma city bombing, you had, uh, Atlanta at the Olympics, you had Columbine, uh, you had the first world trade center attack, which people forget about. Um, and you know, I don't want to get all sad and depressing here, but, uh, there's a lot of 90s nostalgia out there right now. And I meet a lot of people who are, you know, maybe 19, 20, 21 years old. And they say, oh, wow, 90s must have been the greatest time. You had such great music. You had such great television. Yeah. And I'm like, it, you know, it really wasn't that good. I'll be <laughs> honest with you. I, everyone was angry for some stupid reason. I can't figure
0: it out. It's so true. I think that, that just threw me off. Like, yeah, from like 93 to 96 or so, I, I just didn't understand why everybody was so sad.
1: Seriously. Like I'll give you something to get sad about. Try living through a pandemic, you know, it's, it's like,
0: well, yeah. uh, Whatever. And that's, yeah, that's part of why, like I said earlier, there's, there's aspects of this album where I'm sort of like, just just fucking laugh once in a while man <laughs> not to sound like an, uh, an idiot here but uh, but no but listen overall not to take anything away from it it's, it's a brilliant album my question to you is do you think it's a perfect album
1: yes I do uh, doesn't mean that I love every single moment of it and I agree with you there are a couple moments that kind of frustrate me but for what it was, for what it did, for how it came out of left field and kind of jolted everyone and, and made everyone take a look at, at this band that they had previously thought were just going to be one-hit wonders, and for how it's withstood the test of time, um, and for how it came out in the 90s which I said a few moments ago, it was kind of a wasteland of, of rock music, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's perfect. What about you,
0: I do. I do. Because even though, you know, like, I don't like a song like Just much at all. um, You know, I think it's, it's a very cohesive album. You know, there's never a moment where I think, again, even with Just, that it doesn't fit on the album somehow. I mean, like we said, you could remove it and you'd be fine. But it also doesn't feel like, where did this come from? Um, Right. You know, and uh, yeah, no, I'm going to say perfect album. Um, Excellent well, yeah. that was easy <laughs> any final thoughts John
1: give it a listen twenty five years later it holds up quite well and uh nineties weren't all that great folks
0: <laughs> absolutely and you can uh check us out uh on Twitter at podcast closely we're on instagram too at listen closely podcast uh let us know let us know if there's albums that you think we should be covering that we're not. Let us know if you think uh If you think we're total idiots, whatever, just uh, check in with us. John, it's been a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Be well. Take care.